so good to meet you because I mean you know like I've been listening like what was the first part the first podcast I listened to was back when you guys interviewed I think Gee might have been the first one and then I just went through everything I think is it Palmer Senza had only recently passed away when I first when I first started listening yeah um but you guys have got a great podcast man it's one of my it's it's fun and it's always kind of cool. And, um, you know, I love it. It's, it's um, this world of crazy, I don't know, whatever whatever we're going through at the moment. It's really good. It's really good to hear, man. It's um, fun. Okay. I feel like I'm in the dojo with you guys. I don't uh, know if I can keep uh, going. Anyways. Uh, that's, that's so nice, man. That's so Thanks, nice. Man. That's so nice. Um, uh, obviously, <clears throat> you, you interviewed Scott Sensei uh, not that long ago and done a three-part podcast with him. And um, yeah, that put me on to all the all of the the stuff that you've been doing. So uh, for, since then, I've been binge watching all your stuff, and I'd say you got some great content there, man. I, I have you make us look so unprofessional; <laughs> it's kind of upsetting for us. It's like, oh, what way? Oh, what way? You cut you cut you cut the video so well. You have a, a beautiful, lovely intro. You Drone footage, yeah. man. Oh. man. I I think you guys, your stuff is off the hook. I love watching your classes. I'm like. I was saying to Scott, um, some, of the, some of the stuff you guys do, I'm like, fuck that. I'm <laughs> 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 like, yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, you guys, your stuff is really cool. And also, too, in terms of production, I always think it's really choice. I mean, there's a couple of times, uh, Rue, when you've gone on and talked about being there, being a buzz on the cable or something like that. Oh, right. And yeah. you're the, oh, seriously, I mean, you're the only, I couldn't, I couldn't tell. <coughs> so it's really cool, man. I hope you guys, you know, if you guys get down to New Zealand, you've got a place to stay. Oh, uh, yes. Hey, yeah. <laughs> man. You roll on, roll on down. You ever come to Dublin? Ru- Likewise. You can stay at Roos. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what will happen is, is I will call you when I'm in Dublin and say, I'm not coming to Dojo. You might make me put my gear on. And if you want to see what, Unfit and uncoordinated looks like in the elderly. Sure, I'll come. I'll, I'll come show you. Come on, man! You're <laughs> in Dublin. Of course, you're going to come train. <laughs> you got to come but, um, and teach us those 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 yeah. weapons, man. That, like that's that's something that's really cool. I mean, it's like something that, that we never t- train or do is, is weapons training, and you seem to dabble in just about every weapon there is. Like <laughs> you do them all. Well. Well, because um, because uh, <clears throat> here's where it's at, man. Um, <clears throat> so I started when I was like five, right? And my I would live with two military uncles. One was a Kyokushin sensei, and one was a judo sensei. Well, they were judo instructors for the military. You know, martial arts instructors for the military. So in the morning it was all Kyokushin. In the evening it was all um, judo. And then when I was 10, I saw my first Bruce Lee movie and forget about it. I wanted to be a five foot Chinese guy. <laughs> so, 
you know. So, but uh, and also too, man, I used to really love the Ninja Turtles <clears throat> as a kid, and I was going, well, these are weapons I should learn. So, yeah, and and, and I just kind of, I mean, probably like yourself, um, Ross, and you too, Rui. I mean, you guys started really young. I mean, your dad, your dad's a sensei, right, Rui? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ross, you've been training since what you were five or six or something. Seven, seven was when I started. Yeah, seven. So people, people, people who haven't grown up in it don't really kind of realize <clears throat> it's not it's not necessarily an advantage, but it's definitely one of those things where because it's around you all the time, by osmosis you're always taking it in. Yeah. And um, I, I think I just it just I didn't really play any other sports. I, I wasn't um, very academically inclined. Like I didn't learn how to read until I was twenty five. So, so all those physical things and seeing something which was so, you know, and growing up in kind of a, a rough area and around a, a rough, you know, sort of a difficult upbringing, you know, you, you got to learn to take care of yourselves, you know? Yeah. yeah. How, how did that come about that you didn't learn to read as a kid? Well, um, what happened was <clears throat> um, drugs and alcohol were a big part of um, our family life. And my father, so <clears throat> my dad is Samoan from Samoa and my mother's Māori from New Zealand. And, um, but our great grandfather on the, um, on the Māori side in New Zealand is, his mother was Irish and his father was Scottish. So that's why I get this dazzling tan, man. Bro, I'll tell you, if you, you guys came down here like my last name's Dawson, right? Um, <clears throat> but our family name is Lehi. So, you know, we've got all these, my, my, family, my Scottish name is McClay. Um, and we come from a village called Rossiter, I think it's called. Rossiter, I don't know. Some, it's, I own but, that. But, <laughs> but again? I own it, it's mine. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but you know, the thing is, if you come to New Zealand, what you guys will find is that every, I would say 90% of the Māori people in New Zealand have really strong linkages to both Ireland and Scotland. There's a huge, um, we've all got it in us, um, like the Maxwells, the McGinties, um, the McPhersons, um, the McClays, the McAllisters, they're all Māori names here. There's oh, the, the, the Māori names, that's yeah. unreal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, no, but um, <clears throat> um, sorry, Rui, I got off the thing. The reason I, I think, because I, I had a really pronounced stutter as a kid, a speech impediment, and I found it really hard to speak. And what would happen is my father would just put his knuckle up to my head and hit me on the side of the head every time I got something wrong. So I became so terrified <clears throat> of learning how to read that I kind of put in kind of a mental block. And so it was one of those things where, because it, represent, it represented sort of trauma in a weird kind of a way, you know, like um, I just just couldn't do it. And, and, and it just became like a, our upbringing was kind of a, like a battlefield. So you're always trying to look to, so you're always learning survival skills and, and reading and writing just wasn't important, you know. Um, <clears throat> And so when I started to learn how to read and write, changed and learning how to, you know, performing arts and things like that, um, especially singing and so on, it changed my whole life because 
I could never understand how people could write something on a page and, and um, it could be more interesting than a movie or a comic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, something like, oh, I didn't know this. Product placement. Product placement. But, um, you know, you, I watch you guys, what, what you guys do in your classes, man. I mean, and a lot of the stuff that you guys talk about, uh, it's, you, you know, you guys joke around. I know you, you are living, you know, you guys fully appreciate what you're doing, but I think you're living this uchireshi existence but what's really cool about it too is that you're missing you're, you're not getting subjected to the horse shit that goes along with a lot of uchidishi programs i mean <clears throat> my impression is that scott's really encouraging you to develop but he's not trying to he's not encouraging he's not encouraging himself as a guru he's encouraging himself as a it's more of a guide than a guru yeah and um and it's really cool as I've listened to the podcast, just hearing about, you know, Ross, when you're talking about going for Yondan and Rue, you're talking about Nidan. It's really cool stuff, man. And it, it, ne it never changes. It's always, I've gone back and listened to your stuff a few times. I, I Now, what's the name of, is it Sensei, the one who's the chef? Tommy. Tommy. Oh, shit, man. One, one, one time you guys were sitting there doing something, just recording something, and and I and he was in the corner doing handstands or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just I was in my dojo just pissing myself laughing with my headset <laughs> yeah. on. And some of the some of my students were there and they're going, "What are you?" And I'm going, "It's they're, they're kind of everyone's doing their own training." And I'm standing there laughing my ass off, and I can't explain to them. <laughs> but you know, when he talked about it, I mean, the intensity of your training, the ways you you guys have got great technique too. It's yeah, you guys don't need weapons, man. <laughs> you know um like you like you were saying when you start in martial arts young it it's uh you you pick things up did you say through osmosis is that what you said yeah pretty much well, i think well yeah Sorry, when you start working full time that is like uh it, it it increases tenfold because not only do we love training and we come training whenever we can but we get to train more than most people and yeah in certain sessions we're actually paid to turn up so um well i mean i mean isn't that the thing i mean it, you know but, but people always think oh you know get paid to do the thing you love but i mean the thing you love can get to be a pain in the ass too you know there's oh, all the yeah. stuff that goes along with it especially <laughs> how, you, how were you guys i mean it's been interesting too that you guys have kept up a really strong sh schedule right through uh the lockdown yeah, oh, yeah. um yeah. It, it's it, i think you guys might have been, were you guys doing online stuff prior to lockdown? No. No. It was it was mad. So we so we went into to lockdown on a Thursday. And then on a Saturday, we had a schedule sorted out where all three, uh, AJ, Rue and myself, were teaching um, almost all, almost a full schedule mm -hmm. of classes um, from Saturday through to, uh, from Saturday to Saturday, like a full week's schedule of class. Mm -hmm. Um I think we and yeah, every like trying to keep as many students, you know, engaged and stuff as we possibly could. Mm -hmm. The boss, man, the boss is an absolute machine. He yeah. doesn't switch off. He just keeps going. He's, he's a special kind of guy. You like know? there was this mm -hmm. severe lockdown announced really, really suddenly uh, on the Thursday, like Ross just said, and most of us would have sort of gone, "Oh, what are we going to do?" And we'd have scratched our arse for a few days and thought, "How?" we do karate now yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but scott was like yeah. i've heard about this thing it's called zoom 
We're starting tomorrow. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Friday was, uh, Friday was just, okay, let's test it out. And we've done that. And then we tested camera angles. And uh, can you hear this? If you go this far back, where can we? where's the best thing to show technique and stuff? And then it was like, okay, what kind of stuff can we teach? Mm-hmm. How can we teach in for people who are training in their living rooms? Mm-hmm. How can we do a full class where they're not having to adjust and move furniture and stuff like that? That one meter square mm-hmm. karate that he, he coined exactly. it as, you know? Um, that Friday was us testing all that out, and then Saturday we were rolling. You know, we're away. Man, it, I mean, that's one of the things I sort of, you know, for me, <clears throat> um, where Scott was in Japan, I was in Okinawa. Cool. Um, and you know, you guys have been talking Okinawa, so you know, it's kind of a different, total, total different vibe to the mainland. And I was spent some time in the mainland. But one of the things which was <clears throat> really encouraging, you know, and about what you guys are doing is that. You know, like I came back, I could never, I I could never imagine that people would want to train with me. I imagine I could never imagine that people that any you know that kind of thing is why would you know why would anyone want to train with me? And the idea of doing your own thing, creating and creating a community of people that you want to train with and that had similar goals was so uh, intimidating to me because of my because of I guess a sense of um, you know, low self-esteem and, you know, there's so many people that you compare yourself to. Like, I, <clears throat> I see what you guys do in a class. I'm like, man, you know, like, I I mean, someone was going, someone uh, commented, a Shotokan practitioner commented on um, around my my fluidity or something and said something, you know, you're you know, you, you're not very fluid and you're not really this and you're not really that. And I was like, well, I'm not, if you, can, if you look at me from a Shotokan lens, man, I can't. You know, when I've tried to do Shotokan Kata, and I have tried, it just looks like a bowling ball trying to fit into a marble bag, man, you know? Um, and it's just kind of one of those weird things where I just look at it and I just go, what you guys are building and what you've been trying to build and the positivity of it is awesome, you know? It's it's something that I let the confidence... Like, I'm, I'm a year older than Scott. Um... And people encouraged me over the years to, to do something like that, but I was just too frightened to do it, to be totally honest. And I and I lacked uh, the confidence to do it. So it's always cool when I hear what you guys are doing, especially going off the seminars. I mean, to be straight up, boys, <clears throat> I'm, I'm really hoping to get you down to New Zealand. You know, when things clear up, it'd be cool to have you in New Zealand. You know, come do some, come, come cool, kick some man. stuff. Cool, man. Yeah, that would be cool. You got to see, I have to say, you're talking to the two biggest Lord of the Rings geeks. Ever and we always talk about going to New Zealand and seeing you know the Shire and stuff like so. Yeah. Gojo Ru, why? Why? So you were saying you had, you had a Kyokushin influence as a young yeah. kid, a judo influence as a young kid. Wait, when did the the Gojo Ru training start? So in New Zealand, because New Zealand is such a small country, um, Kyokushin was really the only karate style that was here in the beginning. Hmm. Um, so I started in 1977 as a little kid. As, as, as a baby, really. And um, <clears throat> it was the only thing that was here. What happened was later on, um, Gorjuru came to New Zealand and a lot of the people who embraced Gorjuru had been in Kyokushinkai. So my first Gorjuru teachers had all been um, senior senior Yudansha in Kyokushin. And, you know, when you're that age, you don't know the difference. You know, it's all wearing pyjamas, in the cold and kicking and punching, so you don't really know the difference. 
Um, and, and I didn't really know what the difference in style was. Um, and because the people, the sensei that I had, the seniors that I had, they kept a lot of a lot of those Kyokushin-esque kind of qualities. Um, it kind of felt the same for a long time. And like a, a real um, emphasis on sparring, a real emphasis on conditioning, you know, push-ups and kind of bunny hops around the dojo and all that sort of like stuff. So official amalgamation of the two styles. A big pardon? Was it kind of like an unofficial amalgamation of the two styles? No, it was it was really I think that so the um it was there was a literal break. People wanted to it was either gonna go Kyokushin or Gorjuru. So the head instructor, a, a gentleman called Sensei John Jarvis who was um, the chief instructor for New Zealand, had gone and, and trained in Japan and was very good friends with Don Draga. Cool. And, um, and Don Draga um, introduced him to Muru Higuana, um, who was in Okinawa living in Tokyo at that time. And then he just became really enamored of that style of karate and, and, and then just decided that's what he wanted to do. Uh, he came back to New Zealand, said, right, we're doing Gojuru now, and that's kind of how IOGKF, Okinawa and Gojuru, in, in an abridged way, kind of started in New Zealand. So it wasn't a, a conscious choice, it was just what was around. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Pretty much the same same story for us. Like, Shotokan was what my dad did. Shotokan was probably just the, 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 club the local club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nobody. Yeah. That's what you do. Scott, Scott Sensei says something about that, doesn't he? About how nobody chooses no, nobody same. chooses yeah yeah it's just what's no. there what's available yeah 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 I, th I think you get to a certain point though where your style the style like um i can't imagine doing any other style now i mean i do other styles of i do practice other martial arts but it's kind of like they're kind of sub disciplines they help me with my personal practice and my interpretation of gorgeous um whereas you know with you guys you guys are so entrenched in shotokan but i imagine what you were doing in the beginning, and like really what your dad was doing, there's probably a big, you know, the way in which you do it, the way in which you perform, and your mentality is, it's quite different. I, I get the feeling with Scott too, he encourages a sense of ownership about what you do within, you know, within the style. Would that be true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He always talks about owning your, like owning your karate, and and he, he doesn't describe he doesn't describe himself as a Shotokan practitioner. He, he, like like Aggie said on your podcast, there there is no such thing as karate, you know, like mm. karate practice. And he and yeah. he does sort of like they try and beat that home where it, it's it's a language that you use to communicate to other people, but what he's teaching is mm. is body mechanics and function and flow and and all these fancy ways he puts it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. 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 Speaking of which, I wanted to. So Goju Ryu means the hard soft school, right? Mm. Mm. And from what I read, I think just on Wikipedia, <clears throat> a long time ago, it, the guy who came up with the term Goju Ryu kind of did it on the fly. Someone asked him, what's yeah. your style? And he was like, it's the hard soft style. And he just made it up. Yeah. His, his teacher had told yeah. him some kind of mix. And um, yeah, so, so tell us, as a Goju expert, how is Goju Ryu the hard soft style? How hard is it? How soft is it? And... How are those things blended? Why is it called that? 
Well, I think it's always important to be both hard and soft, Deborah. Um, but <laughs> I know, don't I know? <laughs> um, no, but seriously, uh, it's less of a bit. I mean, I would characterize it in this way. Um, people always say hard, soft, but I would say firm and yielding. Nice. So, as opposed to, you know, soft. So, like in terms of, you know, one of the principles of Gorjuru, a big principle of Gorjuru, and all karate is taisabaki, you know? Yeah. And it's really about receiving the technique. The whole idea that, um, you know, uke is to, you know, uke, uke waza, you know, doing jodanagi uke is not to block the technique, it's to receive the technique, right? So, in that, there's a sense of yielding, there's a sense of adapting to when the technique comes in. I mean, people beg us as karate practitioners and they say things like, well, karate works well against karate. But I think that the principle of what you're learning, it can be adapted to any technique. So yeah, we're learning to block uh, a kizami ski or gyaku ski or whatever. But if you think in broader terms, you're learning the the principle of of receiving a technique irrespective of where it comes from, you know, if whether it's a hook or a haymaker or whatever it is. Um, for me with Gojiru, Gojiru is an interesting style because there's such an emphasis on bunkai. And for me, the there are so many different, you know, it's like, when I think of Shotokan and what I know of um, Shotokan in the UK and its development in, in the UK, only from what I've read in magazines and so on and so forth, there are so many different personalities within that. You know, there was a Noida Sensei, Kanazawa, um, Shirai, you know, Asai, all these different instructors that, that influenced, um, you know, people like Terry O'Neill. I mean, there's a Terry O'Neill, Sensei Terry O'Neill actually trained quite a bit with Higuana Sensei and they were quite close friends. Um, I watch his karate and I'm just going, my God. You know, he's just, and also the fact that he's got a 28 pack. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and just an incredible, you know, his technique is so sharp and strong and all those sort of things. But you look at his technique in relation to someone like um, Frank Brennan or Sensei Sherry or all these other guys, you know, like there are, there are subtle differences. There, the way in which they interpret that and they express that can actually be quite different. And I think the same is with, Gorjuru, um, the, the focus on bunkai is really about understanding the principles of kata, not the literal translation, right? So it's like what Scott says, you're learning a set of principles and learning how to um, interp interpret them and, or, or, or to, it's about learning the translation for yourself. So you learn the technique, shuhari, um, you know, which is, a wonderful book available to all leading. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> he's not, he's not for his one, yeah. He's not, he's not <laughs> but you know, the idea the idea is that for me, when I was younger, Gorgeti was just a name. I wanted to do spinning hook kicks. I wanted to have that um, that beautiful you know, my mawashigiri, I wanted uh, ura mawashigiri, I wanted this, the cooler sweep kicks, and if I could do it standing on one hand, looking cool, all the better, you know? Um, <clears throat> and the thing now with, um, for my for how I interpret Gorjuru, like, I wouldn't call myself an expert on Gorjuru. 
I'm an expert on the way that I like to practice Kōjuru. Um, so I'm an expert on my journey in that art, not an expert on the art. And for me, it's an exciting thing because it's a constant exploration. And it's hard. You know, like I watch, like, no, I was watching you guys do Yokogiri the other day. I'm going, I don't even know if when I was young and I was really super flexible if I could got my foot up that high. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's watching me do Yoko of... Gary. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't watching me do Yoko Gary. You were... <laughs> I have got a very bad Yoko Gary. <laughs> but I think the thing about the the the, heart, the the firm and the yielding is this: that adapting as I get older, as my body changes, my my the yielding aspect of it is going well. If I'm spending eight hours a day watching. YouTube videos on other people doing karate and getting being out of shape or I'm watching other practitioners practice and instead of being inspired I'm I'm feeling oh I mean I can't do anything you know I'm getting I'm compare I'm suffering in the comparison then you know I should really turn off YouTube and actually just go outside and start practicing mm-hmm. and trying to find my interpretation of that um, what happens sometimes in gorgeous just like any other style is that it becomes personality centric it comes based around a particular person, um, as opposed to looking at that person as a as stand, as being a doorman or a doorwoman, opening the door and saying, "Hey, look, walk through and find what you want to find." Um, it, it becomes focused on them, so it becomes focused on the messenger, not the message. And for me, with Gorjuru, I mean, like I said, when I was young, I wanted to do uramoshigiri, but now I just a good um, can get it to the nuts. And a thumb in the eye is as good as a, as good as a, you know, a, a, a Toby Maigiri or something like that, you know. And, and it takes a lot less effort. Yeah, <laughs> it'll probably work sure, better. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know. I know that was a long way around of 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 of, of answering. I hope that answered very that. Kind of like all shit to me. Brilliant, man. Brilliant. 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 Some great stuff in Mm -hmm. there. Talk a little bit about as your body changes. Now, I know you've spoken a little bit about the the ailments that your body's went through, the injuries that you that you've gone through. What what kind of what injuries do you have? What what ailments do you have? And how have you found a way to get around those and continue training? Well, it's kind of I remember a time when I had a bad (laughs) a bad left knee and a good right knee. Now I've got a bad left knee and a worse right knee. So oh. it's always this comparison. <laughs> but no, seriously, I'm actually been really lucky and I'm going to touch wood. I have never had, like I've never broken a bone. Um, I've had a few strains. I've done stupid things. Um, uh, I think when I was younger, I when I was younger, I trained in quite an intensive way. And um, and tried to keep that up. So what I've what I've tried to do, I'm 49 at the moment, um, and if I train with a 25, 19 year old, 18 year old expectation of my body, I'm going to be disappointed every time. So, in terms of understanding sort of my recovery rates and all those sort of things, like I'm I lift, I, I'm very much into functional functional training. I'm very much into like kettlebells and battle ropes and Tiles and all those sort of things. I, I, that stuff is I enjoy that stuff. I I like um, I like powerlifting. Um, I like doing a little bit of things like that. <clears throat> not enough, Rue. Not, ah. <laughs> not enough. 
Yeah, hey, hey, what are you benching? Hey, what are you <laughs> yeah, benching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what I'm benching. I'm benching my expectations and they're very, very oh. <laughs> Very nice, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> 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 uh, but, the, but the thing is, is, is um, like, um, but in terms of like I did my shoulder, I, I tore my shoulder quite badly about a year ago. So, <clears throat> and it was just, and that was through um, weight training, weight training wrong. Um, not warming up properly and things like that, and just trying to be a hero, um, and just doing it, doing doing a bad job. Um, in terms of karate, like I don't do ear training anymore. I don't do kihon. I do kihon, but things like giriwaza, um, uh, I do into something on makiwara, on a bag, on pads. I've just found for me just throwing things in the mid ear. It just is not good for my hips, um, nice. so I'm really careful about that. I mean, I'll do kihon up and down, like I do, you know, maigiri and you know, stepping and yakuski or whatever. But I'm not spending hours and hours just standing there kicking on the spot into space. I I like to hit something just to have that feedback as well. So you say it's safe uh, for your joint to have a target. I I think that for me, what I found is you see a lot of older practitioners. In their in their fifties, forties, fifties, and sixties, a lot of hip replacements. Because I think that we were encouraged to train the only way we made the best decisions with the knowledge that we had at the time. But continually throwing your hip out and the the um, power that you're holding in that technique, you're throwing. You know, when you're extending the hip, you're sending your hip through, and not hitting anything. That power's got to go somewhere. And for me, it goes back into my body. It's gone back to my body, and it's it's not been a great thing. I've had to I've had to deal with sort of hip strains and things like that. Now that that's not a general kind of thing. It's just something which has kind of happened to me. Like I'm six four, um, and and what happens is is that I one of the things that I ch I'm challenged with is because I feel like I'm about a foot too tall to be good at karate. Hmm. You know. Yeah, I, I feel that. Or hmm? I think that, um, to be honest, I think that being tall, being over, being well over six feet, has has been a hindrance in my karate for a lot of my a lot of my. Because I mean, he, have a think about this room. <clears throat> um, so, and all joking aside, you're one of the you've talked about being one of the lightest and the smaller guys um, in the dojo. Yeah, I'm tiny. Okay, I'm so. He, I get five foot six. The, the lift he has. <laughs> to like, but look, <laughs> but, but, but look at the chip. He's sitting on a ball on top of the bench. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but look at the gun show. But look at the oh. gun show that I'm getting. Those are not. Those look at that. Look at that. Pow. <laughs> um, but so here's something to think about. So. Whenever you get into a kumite or randori situation, whenever you're training with someone, because people are bigger, you have an opportunity to use a great, a lot more percentage of your power, right? So every time you're in a situation, you know, you're training, just by virtue of being lighter, you get to use a greater percentage of your power. When I, at 6'4 and 150 kilos, I have to be, I have to be really measured at what I 
at what I do. And, and in terms of, and I also have to ask myself this question, will that actually work or am I just being able to do that because I'm bigger? Do you know what I mean? I mean, having said that, at one point I was the smallest person in our dojo, including the women. So we've got some big Polynesian people here. Yeah. I've got a I've got a 14-year-old student who's 6'6 and she's on the New Zealand basketball team. Wow. So so right, so they make them big down in New Zealand. They make them big. Polynesians tend to be a little bit on the big side. But the, the point I was trying to make is that in terms of it being a negative thing, I think that if there's a when you start getting into a space where you're relying on your size, when you're relying on your weight advantage, like I, I like to think of myself as a good technical karateka. Mm. Um, I don't want to muscle things on. I want to have position and timing and good technique. I want to extend my hip. I want to be able to um, not just crank it on, you know, because I don't think there's any development in that. So I have this thing in my head, this insecurity all the time, that is, would this work, would this work, would this work? Um, and what I try for is I'm I'm looking for speed, maneuverability, and agility. And I think those things go really, really well together. And I think also having a mindset of not seeing yourself as big or small, of just being in your body, not going, right, I'm smaller, so I, you know, they're bigger, but don't try not to look at how you train in relation to other people. Do your thing. Find what works for you. Continue your practice. Shape how you do it, and just work at work at your optimum. Um, and and like I say, I see what you guys do, and I'm like, man, it's so impressive. It's so physical. And when you do the bends training, and your cuts are so strong, I'm like, yeah, man, that's. I, you know, as an example of something that I compare myself to, I'm going, I don't know at my prime if I could have kept up with you guys. You know, and I, I mean that, I mean that without any horse shit it's, I'm not blowing smoke but it's just the tree very very nice of you but very I'm sure I'm sure if we swapped a, a dojo you know for, for a couple of weeks I'm sure we would be put put on our heels a little bit in the kind of training that you do I mean I've seen I've seen the kind of uh, the hold you on do yeah, video yeah yeah. I mean that was that was <laughs> can you can you rip a man's head off yeah with your bare hands say my head <laughs> <laughs> No, well, <laughs> you know what? You know, it's funny. Can I rip a bend? With Hojondo, so when I when I do stuff on Hojondo, for me, Hojondo is a couple of things. I think that any time that you're using something outside of yourself to improve, that that's Hojondo. Hojondo is a mindset. Will you, will you explain Hojondo for maybe people who've never heard the term before? Okay, so Hojondo is a traditional. Uh, Okinawan practice of using various tools, traditional tools, um, to encourage um, your, like, for instance, there's a, there's a thing called the nigirigami or gami, um, where the jars which are filled with sand, which you hold and you just kind of grasp the lip, and um, it's to increase your grip strength. Um, makiwara, obviously, everyone knows makiwara. There's the Kongo ken, which is a big steel ring. Um, there's uh, chishi, which is basically a stone on the end of an axe handle. It's going to sound so weird if you've ever seen any of these things. <laughs> but if you think about that, Hojondo is training with, with equipment. And the, the Okinawan people who developed that at the time, they didn't have access to 
um, kettlebells or to mace training or to weight training. So they develop what they what they had at the time. So I think that whenever you're using any gear to improve your experience of karate, how you experience and express karate, I think it's hojundo and I think it's a positive thing. I think just lifting stuff, the, the problem with hojundo is sometimes when people practice it, they don't know what they're doing. They're following a pattern and they go, this is what I should do. I think if you're going to do it, it's really important to understand what sits behind it, what you're trying to achieve. And um, there's an element of wanting to feel more traditional, which is cool, but there's also an element of understand why you're doing it, you know, because it just loses. If you're just doing it because you've seen people doing it, it's kind of like, it's a very kind of, yeah, just a very aesthetic thing. And it doesn't have much depth unless you know what you're doing. Why do it if you don't know what you're doing? Yeah. You know? So that was a, I hope there was, yeah, hold on door. <laughs> Sometimes we, we're not even playing around with, with tools or equipment. We're just doing kihon and we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we're doing why? You know, I, not, only, not only do I not, not know what I'm doing, I don't, know, I don't know how to do it. I mean, but that's it. Well, it comes, it does come back to kihon. Now for me, when I get into my dojo and practice in the mornings and I have... Um, the HCK Hombu Dojo podcast in my ear. Um, <laughs> um, I am not, I thought at this age, when I, I remember thinking that when I got my show done, I would have magical powers. And <laughs> finally, the, you know, finally I'd be the Jedi that I'd always hoped I'd be. Um, and <clears throat> but what I found, what I'm, and I thought that when I was older, I'd be you know, practicing ninja techniques, bouncing off the walls and, you know, killing people with my, my my pinky and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what I'm practicing is dropping into a good sense of kutsurati, moving in a centered way up and down, doing kizami, oiski, gyakuski, maigiri, kansetsugiri, um, and then trying to make sure that my balance is good. I'm not practicing, um, then I'm coming backwards, practicing jodanaguke, chudan sotuke, geranburai. You know, so... I'm not practicing super complex things because the power of Kihon is they're always teaching us, you know, the way in which we look at them are, you know, changes. The way in which you approach Kihon and practice it and the and the intensity is different, but <clears throat> that's where that's where a lot of um, my growth is. It's a lot, a lot of, as you get older, it's important to practice things because those are the things which you base everything on. You know, if you kind of get, we get too fancy. Like I remember getting into, um, I saw your uh, interview room with that gentleman from America. One who's the fancy kicker, Sensei yeah. Seth. Oh, no, who's a, who's, you know, he's got some fancy kicks. Yeah. Um, what I'm trying to do, like for a long time, I was into sort of doing fancy kicks. Um, but now my idea of a fancy kick is one that would work. So, and I'm not saying that his kick's going to work. It's not a comment on his kick. I, I can't kick like that. So, um, I think he'd agree. For me. No, the, yeah. like that's his bread and butter. He's, uh, <coughs> he's, he's got his head screwed on. I think, you know, a knee to the balls is, uh, is, um, is, is ultimately very effective. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I'll give an example. My idea of, I mean, so for me with Gorjuru, it's a very close fighting style. We're always trying to close the gap and grabbing, grasping, seizing, sweeping, throwing, 
grappling are all part of it, right? But I'm not going to grapple for, like I've got a Zulu and Jiu-Jitsu background, but I'm not going to try and grab someone, throw them on the ground and look for a submission for half an hour. I'm going to, the idea of getting them on the ground is so I can finish the, the, the engagement quickly. Um, when I when I come in, um, I'm not looking to do, um, I'm not going, right, how do I cleanly step in with a kizami and then come with a gyaku? I will probably lead with my forehead and get as close to the person I can, fish hook them, hit them again with my head, try and open the, have the palm of my hand in their throat, grab their throat, sweep their legs, and then try and hit them as many times as I can on the way down. You know, I mean, <clears throat> so that's, that's for me, you've just described the first kata of a, a Glasgow martial art. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first kata. That's the first kata. That, that could be. That could be the Scottish. <laughs> yes, that could be the Scottish, my Scottish ancestry coming through. But I mean, no the thing is, is that for me also too, because I I grew up doing. Uh, we grew up as part of our dojo. We all did door work on some pretty rough pubs and clubs and things like that. You know, I started doing door work when I was fifteen. Yeah, everyone did. Everyone did door work. All the guys that I was on the door with were all, all shodan nidan and gojuru, um, uh, judo boxes, all of the rest of that. So, the the thing about doing door work, and it wasn't that there wasn't the the most important thing I learned from door door work was how not how to fight. It was how not to, how to de-escalate situations, how to use your your brain, how to think tactically. Um, and then I went on to work in other areas professionally for many years um, as a contractor in different places around the world. Why are you being and, so vague, Larry? Eh? You, why are you being so vague? What were you doing? <laughs> I'm you very doing? vague. I'm very vague. I'm <laughs> just just doing things where... Doing special jobs. A tactical, a tactical mindset was a good thing to have. But the point, the point being that... Um, I don't think you have to go out and be. I don't think you have to go and be a door a door person. If you grow up and your focus is like Ross, how old were you when you won the world championships? Thirteen. Thirteen. So a thirteen-year-old um, world champion. Do you know what I mean? The way in which you practice karate. I mean, and how long did it take you to feel like that you were a world champion? Um, nothing for me. Nothing changed. Like, like mm. it's funny. Like it never. Um, it, it never, it, it never really seemed like a, a great. It seemed like another competition to me, you know. Like, like I knew it was a big deal, and there was a big party, and I was very happy to win it. But then I was in the dojo the next, the like, you know, two days later, still mm. in the line, still training with everyone, still doing the usual routine. Nothing changed. I wasn't treated any different. I didn't walk any different. I acted any different. I didn't tell anyone at school or anything like that. Like, it was just a another medal for the cabinet, you know. Yeah. It, we'll see it. So, and Rue, with your what's your what's what's been the highlight of your competitive of of competition for you? That I have no competition yeah, background at all. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, let me put it a different way. What's the highlight of your comp the competition that you're in with yourself in terms of benchmarks? Oh, stop! I'll start crying if we get into that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Straight up. Uh, just um, I don't know, man. That's a huge question. Passing my knee down was a huge day for me. We'll go with that. So we have all these things which happen externally in our karate, right? Mm. So for me, I stopped focusing on combat, on on the benchmark being what a, whether or not I could take care of myself. I stopped looking at how do I, <laughs> you know, I how do I 
how do I destroy a person in front of me? Not that I ever could, but the point is, is that I stopped focusing on the combat aspect. Then, then like, I started focusing on what is this bringing into my life, right? What am I learning which I take outside the dojo? What am I learning that is really important to me? The benchmarks that I have in, in martial arts are nothing to do with fighting or, or winning trophies. And, and I don't mean, and, and Ross, you know, you've talked about quite a few things on the podcast. And, you know, tr- you know, some of the stuff that you've been, some of the experiences that you've had, I mean, you never saw yourself as a world champion, but you were, you, you are, you were a world champion at 13. Mm-hmm. But when the way in which you talked about, you guys talked about, you know, when you go on these karate adventures, the people that you meet and the people that you influence. So when you meet people, you influence how they feel about themselves. Mm. So if you think about it this way, you know, Rue, you as a musician, as an accomplished musician, you know, you know all about scales and composition, all of these sort of things. Try and think about it this way. Your students, your students come to you as clay, right? The people that who come to you come to you wanting to learn more about karate. They think it's about karate and being good at this and that, but what actually happens is you're, you're, you're handing them the tools to understand themselves better, you know? You think about that kid in class who can't stand still for, for more than 10 minutes. They turn up at class and they're the kids who are running around the back, sucking their thumbs, banging their head against the wall, yelling and screaming. And then you come back a month later and they're able to stand in the same position for an entire hour, you know? Yeah. So we're so privileged that we get an opportunity to be a part of people's development. That's for me the important part of that's the important part of karate. Not not like we're sort of <laughs> gods or anything like that, but you know that for me, karate is really about like I guess what Scott's talking about. It's a means to understanding ourselves better. It's a vehicle. And you guys have chosen to a lot, you know, to serve people, you know, by going, yeah, there's aspect of, yeah, there's aspect of professionalism and all the rest of that. I get that, but also you guys have chosen because of your experiences to dedicate yourself to something, to a higher goal, to helping people, to assisting, and to furthering a vision of what karate can be. You guys came from. Um, different organisations and different training experiences, competition experiences, personal experiences, and you're every time you get out on the floor, you're making a statement, you know. And for a lot of kids, um, and you know, like I've never been to the UK. I've been through the UK, but I've never never stopped. I've always you know, passed through Heathrow on, on way to somewhere. And I've never been to Ireland or Scotland. But there's a lot of people who believe in those sort of places, probably, I know for me in my community, who believe that people like us don't do things like that. That's the, that's the mantra that goes on in their head. Mm-hmm. People from this place who look like us, or we live where we live, or don't have this, or don't have that, don't do those things. So every time you get out on the floor when kids turn up, they're seeing two men who are capable of complete destruction, but have humor about themselves, have humility, train hard, can talk to children, can, um, you know, have a, have a laugh, but at the same time do all these things, do all these things which set the bar a lot higher for them as, as kids. You would have influenced kids and other people 
when you've done these karate adventures in ways that you guys don't even realize. Like I, one of my favorite podcasts is the one where you talked about, I think you went to Spain and there was that, that particular sensei who, who showed uh, Ross fell in love with all his swords. Yeah, yeah, were, Italy, Italy. in Trieste, yeah, part of your sensei. You know? <clears throat> but, you know, you guys went in and you went, look, this is not what we do, but I'm keen to experience it, you know? So it's like, so what that says is I don't always have to know what's going on. Sometimes I just have to just be open to the experience. You know, yeah. you think about that. You think about 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, that would never have happened, you know? They're not our style. They're not our affiliation. So we don't, we don't it's train with Within my time, even within Shotokan, oh, he's not part of our organization. Therefore, we don't go and train with him, you know? Never mind styles or, or anything like that. It's a... Uh, yeah, and it still happens. It still happens. Tuari, yeah. yeah. that was one of the best speeches we've ever had yeah, on the podcast. That was amazing. By the way, that was great. That was great. That, that bit of like you've set the bar very low. There fits it. <laughs> along the path, and not because we're, uh, you know, we're monks or guides or anything, just because it's a good system. Yeah. And because we've yeah. chosen to take the path, and we can bring these children along with us. That was fucking brilliant. That was great. Fair well, yeah, but but will, it's also the culture that you guys create. And, yeah. and what you do, you know? Well, it's we've been facilitated to get this far by, uh, you know, by but you know what, Rue, our instructors. But Rue, Rue, you can take a compliment, man. Ah, <laughs> Rue, you know, look, with, with working with kids and, do, and doing all the work that you do with kids, I mean, I've talked a little bit about those kids that can, can kind of seem a bit problematic at the beginning. Have you had students that are like that? I have this perfect example. Right now, this story is going to make me seem like I'm the shit altogether, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So <laughs> I started at this, um, I started teaching at this youth club, uh, like an after school youth club, and they wanted a karate teacher to come in. So they contacted the dojo and I got sent along to do it. And I went there and all the other childminders were there, like the, the after school club women, they were all women. And they said, they, oh, we've just had a look at your list and you've got little, I'm going to make up a name. Joy. Little Johnny. You've Joy. got a little Johnny. In your class, ooh, you're going to struggle with little Johnny. He's a, uh, you better watch out. So I was like, well, you know, nothing I can't handle. And then I did the, did the class. And yeah, little Johnny was a bit of a troublemaker. He liked to be the center of attention. He liked to disrupt things. Um, but whatever. He got a couple of warnings. He took a time out. He was a bit pissed off at the end of class. Whatever. Next week, kind of a similar situation, a little bit better. But time goes on. And I always make sure after I give, a, after I give out to a child, give them a warning or tell them to stop messing. I make sure within two minutes, I compliment them. Even if they're still doing, even if they're still rubbish and not trying, I'll be like, oh, so I make sure they get a compliment. And then before long, before long, little, little Timmy, little Johnny, little Nathaniel was the most enthusiastic of the whole group. Whenever he was team captain, he was keeping all his team members in line, making sure they weren't messing, making sure everybody was winning points. And, I was getting the kids hyped up for a grading and I was like, some of you are going to go for stripes and a couple of you, if you keep training really hard, might just go for orange belt. And a couple of them did, but little Johnny wasn't quite ready. He didn't know he and Shodan and I didn't want to send him for orange belt and him to, you know, get half orange or whatever. So I said, not this time. We're going to send you for three black stripes on your white belt instead. And the tears, man, the tears started pouring and I thought... This guy didn't give a fuck about karate the first couple of days. And they all warned me he wouldn't cooperate. They all warned me he was going to be a problem. And now look at him. He loves karate so much. Not because I'm great or anything, just because this is what he needed. Mm. 
Um, mm. And yeah, and he was in bits. He got his orange belt eventually. Mm. <laughs> I mean, well, it, see, uh, and that perfectly articulates why, you know, um, you know, within within our within Maori culture, there's a thing called tohe, and tohe was a, is a kind of a your right of your rights of passage as men and women, and what happens is you created a rite of passage for that young fella. You created an opportunity for him to feel like he was part of something really special. And that created in him a feeling that he was really special. And that this guy who's this, the big black belt at the from the class actually says, are you actually really good at something? You can recognize that. I mean, <clears throat> that's, that's, the power, that's the power of what you do and the way in which you Put that sort of stuff across, and you don't realize it. It's those small kindnesses. It's the million we. It's the million small things that will make such a difference. That makes such a difference in people's lives, especially kids, especially young men. So, mm. by you doing that, it role models something as a man. It role models something as that that men can be caring and vulnerable and all those sort of things. But that to strive for something. The value of working for it, and the value of um, that you are part of something, and and that it's okay to this time you're not grading, mm. and that's okay, and that's okay. You're going to grade next time, so you give them something to focus on on the future, and something to work hard, and knows that he's, you've got his back. I mean, and you, and when he got his orange belt, he would have been the happiest kid in the world, you know. And what he learned, whether or not he stayed in the dojo, is not the point. Is maybe he took that on to when in his brain when he went to school and he had a math problem or something that he couldn't solve, maybe he goes, well, since I said, if I just work hard at it and if I just keep trying, I might get the answer. So that you don't know what, what effects that has, you know? So that's awesome, bro. Oh. Awesome. Cheers to you, man. Ah, cheers to you, man. <laughs> All a... a... <laughs> Invisible fancy products available <laughs> online, yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 hold on a sec. Okay. But I, I just, I'm just, hold on a sec. I'm just reading. I'm just reading. I'm, I'm going to blur reading. this out. <laughs> we plug him enough. <laughs> so, can I ask you guys a question? Please do. So, outside of karate, who's been some influences on you guys? Maybe not even karate practices. I mean, maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe there's people that you could kind of try and emulate. I mean, outside of karate, who's people that have kind of been a huge supporter or influence on what you do in karate? That is a fantastic um, question. I, I've trained in a few different martial arts, and there's there's two martial artists that I've trained with that, that influence me. One, one is a Andy, my former MMA coach, stellar guy. Another one is a... Um, a, a one of my mates Craig who was a fitness bodybuilder type guy who who was very good but I want to stay away from the kind of physical training thing so so if you've got someone musician or, or something go ahead I'm going to think well I'll give you an example well what you guys would think just give you a second a huge influence on my martial arts journey was my grandmother yeah um my parents and you know New Zealand is is you know we we're a rugby nation Especially if you're Polynesian, everyone plays rugby. Everyone, you guys, being from a rugby nation yourself, you know we're, you know, the rough and tough, the big and bash, rugby All stuff. I, stuff yeah. So I, I um didn't 
I never wanted to play rugby. I wanted to, I always liked drawing and I liked the arts and I liked to be creative and things like that. And I was, apparently my, my, my father said, you know, like I was not a bad wee rugby player as a little kid. That's the only time I really played it. Um, and when I started really getting into martial arts, it was kind of, my father would say, well, only cowards kick, all that sort of stuff. So I had no time for it. You know, it was, ah, it's a lot of rubbish. You know, um, but my grandmother, she would, she would never make fun of me. She always said, come, I will go and live with her. And I'd make, put a little mucky water up on the tree. And she never, she was the one person who, when I said that I wanted to do this thing, actually put her hand up and supported me in it, you know? Mm. Um, I didn't get support from the family. They kind of thought I was a bit weird. Um, but she was the one person in my life who at that time um, said, yeah, do what you want to do. Just do what you want to do. Don't worry about what everyone else says. Just keep doing it. And she, every time I put on my gear, I think of my, my nan. Every time I go and practice, I think of my grandmother. And she, she's been gone. She died and she passed away in 2002. But I'm so thankful that I had that one person. In terms of everything that I've done on the martial arts, I, I really owe it all to her support. So, you know, I'm really, really lucky for that. That's great, man. Can I, can I give you guys a challenge? All right. What's your favorite kata? What's a kata you like doing? Gojo Shiho Sho. Gojo Shiho Sho. And what about for you, Ross? Uh, so, so Chen's the bread and butter one for me. That's the, so Chen, yeah. that's the safety net kata for me. So it's... Nice, nice. I, I like my kata as short as possible, <laughs> with as little movement as possible. Um, but here's, here's, I want to give you, a, I wanna give you a, a, a challenge if I can. One. So for me, when I do Suprempe, the song that I hear in my head, the song that I train is Wish You Were Here. Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here. Right? Yeah. When I do Shisoshin uh, Kata, it's Nothing Else Matters. Cool. Uh, when I do Gekso Daich and Gekso Daini, it's Rage Against Machine. Cool. Um, so... Great music taste, by yeah, 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 really yeah. good music taste. <laughs> so, for your kata, I'd like to know if you could characterize the kata that you've you've talked about, Ngoju Shiho Sho or Soshin. What song? If you if it had a song, it had a theme song for you. What what theme song would it be? It's got to be Bruce Springsteen. Well, I'll, I'll find a Bruce Springsteen song that fits. Yeah. Soshin would be more like something like immigrant song. It's my alarm every day. I wake up to immigrant song. Great, great song to wake up to. For Goju Shiho Show as well, but I think maybe, maybe something. Let me see. Hang on a second. These questions are very big, man. I need to do a bit. Goju Shiho Show. What comes after that? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I don't think in terms of so, so I'm interested because I'm interested in not how, not what goes with the cutter, but how you, with the feeling that you evoke in yourself when you do the cutter. Yeah. I'm gonna go with trample no the ocean by Led Zeppelin. Okay. Nice why? I tell you what, there is a song that I equate to to not just like because cat is interesting, but I equate. Linkin Park to all of my karate. Oh, yeah. That is my that is my Link, Linkin Park hybrid theory album 
is my warm-up music. It's my cool-down music. It is the thing that as soon as I hear any song, slow, fire, whatever, as soon as I hear a song from that, boom, I'm in the zone. Like, I am in, like, that... That that was the music I was listening to warming up for the for every final of a competition. Like that like that is it. So I think uh, in the end So here's some maybe something to think about with your students is in the build up to in the build up to their grading, ask them Say to them, what I want you to do is I want you to video yourself doing the kata that I want you to, I need you to do, and I want you to find a song that makes sense to you when you do the kata as a little bit of homework for them. Ah, but young people don't know what music is. You know, like, um, <laughs> you know, like, um, I guess, hey, hey, it's, just, it's like, oops. I did it again. <laughs> you know, but, you know, like, the thing is, is that I think that there's a connection between our creative selves and our karate. You know, like for me, um, I, I think that music is very similar. Like for me, it, you know, as a muso, you know, Rudy as a muso, um, Ross is someone who appreciates me and loves music. You know, like Lincoln Park. For me, my kumite is anything Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, yeah. Rage Against the Machine is always my bag work music. Mm. Audio. Slave is my weightlifting music. Cool. Especially the song Cochise. Mm. You know, um, and anything for repetition, anything thumping bass, anything kind of kind of public enemy, NWA, so the sort of classic bit of Tupac in there as well. See, I, I think for cool. sparring, for general sparring training, because uh, I want to <laughs> be light and I want to be gentle and, and playful, mm. it's always like like some funk, like art, yeah. like James Brown. Or something mm -hmm. like that, and a, get up, up that when you were tiger, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Up, like, something really cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that kind of like mm -hmm. that chilled sort of vibe, you know, yeah, man. But you've got to be careful when you put some stuff on. Like, some mornings I get up there and I, I'm, I'm, I get up there and I get in the dojo and I put my thing up on the wall and I go, Right, this morning I'm on the train, I'm gonna to want to have a mellow session, <laughs> and I push something. And it bores the shit. I'm like, I'm getting in there. I'm going. I am so bored with this. It's just, and I'm getting all gentle and zen. I'm going. I don't want gentle and zen. I, I need a bit of, I need a, I, I need a bit of lead guitar in my life. You know. <laughs> hey, I tell you, Gary Moore, Gary Moore, still got the blues. Still got the blues as my sanction cutter. Yeah. <clears throat> Used to be so easy. Yeah. In my heart away. You know. You know? Nice one. So. You know, like, um, yeah. So music is is really is really important to me in my training, and I, it's it's underrated, man. But it can do so much. It can do so much. Um, but anyway, sorry, man. We got off track. What? So, Ru, you were going to come back with your response, right? So, uh, a teacher who has influenced my karate, who was not a karate teacher, is basically the question. Mm. Right. Um, I studied music when I was in university. And uh, I went to Manuth, which is a university which ha also has a seminary where they, they train the wee priesthood, um, the, the wee Catholic priests. And they had, uh, they had uh, a master of sacred music in the, uh, in, the, in the seminary. And he wasn't a priest. He was, a, he was an academic, but he was a, a music PhD. And he also taught in the music department of the university. So he worked for the seminary and the university. Um, 
and he became my singing master, like my singing sensei. I auditioned for a special group uh, of non-seminary non, uh, students, so lay people, who could go in and learn plain chant. Have you ever heard about plain chant? I know, no, I haven't. Plain, plain chant is a special kind of sacred music. It's the oldest kind of music that was ever written down, that was ever notated. Wow. So it comes from about 500 AD, and it has a completely different kind of notation. Anyway, won't go too, won't go too much into it, but it's uh, it's very melismatic and 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 it's it's uh, it's free. There's n there's no tempo or beat, but there's ways to interpret it uh, rhythmically. Um, but it was you, we you had these sacred scrolls basically, sacred scrolls of ancient music, and there was one correct way to do it that you had to get and you had to learn it and you had to be able to do it and it was a very strict discipline and then once you had it then you could learn to, then you could uh then you could internalize it you see where i'm going mm -hmm. and then once you internalized it then you could make it your own all right Sounds like a title of a book we all know and love, Shuhari. Mm. Okay, so it was the very same thing. Tuari, did you say? Tuari. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, but this guy was such an, so that, that's the system that we were learning. And we were like, we auditioned and we got into this group. There were only eight people in it. And we didn't sing together. We took turns singing for John. And then he coached us. And when I say... Like you did, like I didn't even know a music teacher could be so hands-on because I always talk about on the podcast. I always say, "Oh, Richard Amos is so hands-on. He's a coach. You know, he'll grab you and he'll fix you and he'll join in and he'll try and punch you and he'll he'll help you along." A singing teacher can be a coach as well. He used to stand in front. He used to say, "So there was this wasn't me. This was one of the girls in the class. She was stalling. It wasn't running out of breath. It was running out of confidence, running out of commitment to the note." Mm. So he'd say, when you hit that note, you have to be a car at the bottom of a hill. And if you lose momentum going up the hill, you're done for. Not only do you have to keep your momentum, but you have to increase the drive, right, to maintain speed. So he was like, you have to, you have to push the accelerator, you have to go down. And these were ideas that he gave us about how to sing. And another time there was um, another one of the girls, coincidentally, she was, I can't remember anything he taught me. <laughs> um, she was, she was, her phrases were very loose. They were disjointed. And he said, you're like a remote control car on Christmas morning. You're hitting the skirting boards and you're, you're going, and then you're, and the child doesn't know how to work the thing at all. So you need, you need direction. You need to turn these curves. You need to make these corners. You need to know where you're going. You can't be blindly bumping into these phrases. And I was like, this is, this is such a way to teach somebody how to sing. This mm. is like, ugh, it was amazing. And uh, I've, I've and, yet, and yet you're teaching. That's exactly what you're doing when you with that with that young young boy that we were talking about, the young fellow that you helped too, in his life. Yeah. But what his attention span and his his um, belief that he couldn't do these things and the belief that other people had about him that he he would just be like that thing that was banging into skirting the curtain uh, to skirting boards. Yeah. You gave him a degree of control over that because. You bought. You didn't bring. You didn't bring the art to life. You bought what you've learned in life into your art and how you teach the art. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. That little boy had direction in the end. Even if he didn't mm. get to go for his orange belt that time, he wanted it so much. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like you were talking about, you know, committing to when you're talking committing to the note. 
also talking about committing to hell. You know, he's he's sitting with his emotions. You know, what it's like when you get your brain is is like elastic. One minute, one minute you're twelve, and next minute you you you're eight, and then it's kind of you know, especially as teenage boys with all these wonderful fluids flowing flowing through. So, you know, you literally are sitting there with this remote control you can't work out, and that, that's amazing, man. That's amazing. Respect, respect again. <laughs> that's my answer that's nice man i mean, my, awesome. I, I mean awesome. I'm, I'm struggling because i have been around martial arts for so long and everyone who has a uh influence on my martial arts tends to be martial artists um but if i was looking for inspiration like like you say family would be the next best thing and and i think my my dad me and my 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 dad get on really really well um, now, but there was there was a period of time where it was a, a rocky road with us, um, you know, just just because I was at that age where I, I every just just breathing pissed him off, you know, <laughs> it was just <laughs> things like you know, or or, or or you do something and you you get up. You get up and you open the door and you're going, you're going to do you know you're going to do it like that, are you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just just my my being, my aura, fucking set them off. <laughs> but but thing, from the age of seven and even till now, he has always sacrificed his own time, his own money, everything to facilitate me and my sister. Jeez, my my sister um, is is a is a top level sled dog trainer. She travels, she flies over to, to Canada and Wyoming and stuff to train with the, the best like team in the world. Like, uh, so she, wow. she, she only is able to do that because of the sacrifices my mum and dad made for, for us. So when people ask mum and dad, well, what are the kids doing? It's like, Oh, well, Mo- Molly's away racing sled dogs and training sled dog teams in Canada. And Ross is teaching karate and in, in Dublin and around the world. And they go, <laughs> you know and, and i have to say the sacrifices mom and dad made for me and my sister is is man if i uh, that it's that kind of way if if i can talking about facilitating um opportunities for people and stuff if you can pass that kind of that kind of sacrifice and put that kind of effort and help people fulfill their potential if you can do that in the dojo that that, well, that i mean you guys are doing it I mean, you know, look, I get so inspired. Like, I started a seminar series here in New Zealand and that people want to come to from other places. And I'm looking at starting my own seminar series because you guys talk, when you talk about your karate adventures, I'm like, yeah, man, that's something, that's something worthwhile. That's something cool. I mean, and talking about your parents, you know, and I don't mean this to get kind of maudlin, but, you know, I never knew how proud my old man was of me until after he died and they had to wake at the pub. And all his mates come up to me and said, oh, you know, your father used to talk about you. He used to, he was very proud of you. Never said it to me because, you know, we don't, you know, emotions, <laughs> I'm having an emotion. Take it outside, take it outside. No emotions, no emotions. You know, so, and when, you know, and Rue, you've talked about, you know, how your, how your mum used to drive you a long distance to come and train and those sort of things. Have those, podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> those, those people, those small, it's the, the million small things that matter. It's those small kindnesses, you know, and, and now you're paying, literally paying it for by doing the same thing. I mean, 
on the podcast by getting out and doing it, trying to imagine these kids are training with two international level instructors that go all around the world teaching and training. Um, but what you're saying to them by doing that is you're going, you can do it too. One of my one of my teachers of our Maori traditional martial arts here, he said to me that if you do this, he says if you commit to this, you'll go around the world doing it. It will take you around the world, and it has. Um, and that's what's really inspiring about what you're doing. It's what's inspiring about the podcast is because you get to share and encourage other people on their on their karate adventures. You know, um, when you listen to your podcast. It feels like you're sitting with two really cool men and instructors, but also you feel like you're sitting in the in the in the homebrew with you. And it's awesome. And in the sweaty box of an office right now. But the thing is, but the thing is, but the thing is, you know, but the thing is is that um, the thing is is that it's really about creating a community of people and and also about what we what we're leaving behind, you know, what we're showing other people. I mean, you think about, I know for me as a kid, I didn't have anyone around me who sort of said, you know, you, you're capable of anything, you can do this and do that and travel and all those sorts of things. I remember the two or three people that did. And for those kids that you're training and for those people that you're helping towards a goal, in terms of karate, that's what you're being, you know. And <clears throat> like um, Scott said to me, what did he say? He said, um, compliments are like, he said, Compliments. I said something. In essence, what he says, compliments are good, but only in small doses. But you know what? We can pat ourselves on the back. I can be. I can be proud of what I do. You guys should be proud of what you do. It's cool. You know. Um, and it's inspiring, man. I'm inspired by you guys, and I'm looking forward to seeing where you guys go. And hopefully, you get down to the Pacific, and I can get you some tattoos. Oh no 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 no! Yes, man. Yes, I'm done, man. You're on, bro. You're on. You're on. I have one. I have one. Tattoo. I have one. Bro, come on. Oh, it's so cool, man. Ah, oh. so here's the sun, and here's the moon, and here's the balance between the two. Oh, but man, we so come on down. Would that not be a cultural? Is that not? Is that not fucking like really bad? No, but because it will. Hey, look. You, you, the, the the Gaelic people, the people of Scotland and Ireland, we've got a common, we've got a, we've got a common enemy. We've got a common ancestry. You know, we're all enemy. we're indigenous people. <laughs> we're indigenous people. We're indigenous people of the land. All right. So maybe my people are a little more melanin enhanced. You know, but we've got a we're all indigenous people. So we stand together. We we can share. You know, don't don't think of water as separating us. Think of the water as as joining us. We're all island people. Your island's a lot better that's, than that. That's, that's fair enough. My, my, my mother's maiden name was Connolly, which is an ancient Celtic name, Canilach. So, yeah, I'm with you. Canilach. I'm Maori too. <laughs> you guys, you got, well, this is what, this is what, this is all that sort of stuff, man. We're all, what, what is the connection that Maori people in New Zealand have to, to Scottish and Ireland and to Gaelic people is very, very strong. And that we recognise the fact that we're all Indigenous people. And that we have a kinship you know, you guys come over here and married into us like you wouldn't believe. So I think if you if you looked in you, if you come down here, you'd find you'd find relatives. I, I guarantee it one hundred percent. We go and check out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you, I will get that said, too. We're, we're, we're buying the tickets. We're I'll coming just, over. I'll just get one on me bum though. Now I know it's it's all pretty similar, but is that Samoan or Maori or both? Uh so these are Samoan. 
Uh-huh. And the ones on my body are uh, Māori. The, my full body one is, is a Māori one. But what we do is, I, uh, what we do is we do this. So you have the people who to put our tattoos on are called tofunga, right? So a while back, I was dealing with, I was kind of in this really bad place in terms of just work and life, and I was going through some shit, and I was just going, man, I, you know, I need something. I need something. I kind of felt powerless in a in a situation, <clears throat> you know, powerless and. I was I was um, I was speaking truth to power. Let's put it that way, and it was not appreciated by by people. Um, so I went to the Tofunga and I said, "Hey, I need to remember who I am. I need to remember that I've, um, I'm always protected." So he gave me claws. Nice one. Those are coral claws. Now you can see here. Can you? I'll see if I can get this one. This one might be a bit better. So I don't know if you can see there. You can see this one. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a centipede. Uh -huh. All right, okay. So many feet move in the same direction. So it's about the the power to create community. Yeah, you know, we we and that's what we're doing by podcasting, by reaching out to each other, by doing karate together. We're creating a community, man. So roll on down, you know. Stop horseshitting around these two. Get on down to New Zealand. Hey, Ross, I'm going to hook that sleeve up for you, brother. I'm going to hook your sleeve up. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Scott will freak. Nice. And, and and also, you know, Rube, we'll, we'll get something tasteful, but something that incorporates that incorporates your your Gaelic, your your your, your Gaelic indigeneity, maybe the eternal knot, whatever works for you, and we'll we'll give it we'll give it a little bit of um, our flavour as well. Cool, that man. sounds all cool, right. man. That all right, sounds all right, all right. Cool. I'm in. I'm in. That sounds cool. Yes. Holy shit! That sounds awesome. Mm. Oh man, it's been so good. It's been good, Tuari. man. Right. So obviously, Tawari, you listen to the podcast. You you've listened. Yeah. Well. Are you prepared with a <laughs> of the week? Of the week. <laughs> yes, he did it. Come on. Yes. Good man. Yeah, man. You've got one. You. Yeah, I have. You go first. Yes. <clears throat> okay. So my usual morning routine is to, I do a, um, I do a, I get up, I'm a five o'clock um, riser. I always like to get up early. So I've got a, a gym set up here and then I've got a door door further up, uh, further on the, further up on the property. So I go on, I do, um, <laughs> I go on and do my little um, routine, my, my interval training, <clears throat> resistance training, all the rest of that. So, <clears throat> I go, right, I want to do a really good session. I want to have a really robust weight session before I get out and do some out there. And so I set my music up, went out, um, set, set, all the, set the bench press up and the squat rack and all the rest of that, put my kettlebells out. <clears throat> and, um, and, you know, went out in the morning and had my, you know, had my, had my, my HTK Humble Dojo podcast blasting in my ears to provide um, nice. the right motivation. And um, I got down on the right, you know, did a little bit, you know, some, some skipping and that just to get warm. You know, it was like, right, I'm in the zone. <laughs> I got on the, I got on the rack and went <sighs> and pulled back on the rack to do the bench press and pushed up. So remember I've had the, I've had the shoulder injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been building back to lifting weight. So I thought I'm going to up it. I put a lot of plates on. As we got to the top, 
uh, my right hand started to go a little bit higher than my left hand. <laughs> and I'd forgotten to put the collars on. <laughs> oh. So, boom, 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 boom. So, so, so the weights fell off both sides. And <laughs> I felt like a complete dick. Um, <clears throat> then I got up and tried to kind of recover myself. And as I got up, I asked up on my towel <clears throat> and ended up doing a break fall in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did was I got up, I went inside, made a coffee, and then went back to bed. <laughs> so it was my fail. <laughs> Like but sometimes you've just got to go. Yeah, this you're not. I'm not winning this one. I'm not winning this one. <laughs> do over. Do over. <laughs> oh man, that's a good feel. That was a good. That was class. Feel. That was very good, man. I felt like I was there with you. The way you told me. <laughs> hey, if I'd been there with me, I would go. Look at this dickhead. <laughs> in the it was safer not to have the clips on, right? In that situation. Well. No. Yeah, but yeah, but Rue, you know, I was going for the whole sort of. Scott Adkins, you know, Boyka training montage thing in my head. Uh, it was, it was, it was more like a Benny that, that last shot in Benny Hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you um, go. I've got one. Yeah. Okay. So um, I've just been on holidays. Where, no way. I was. I was yeah. I was holidays. He's saying that now because I haven't shut the fuck up about my holidays. <laughs> Every goddamn day. <laughs> I wasn't back half a day before they were sick of hearing about my holidays. Um, <laughs> so I was surfing. And uh, oh, you look. You look. You look pretty tan, man. You look like you've been. You've been getting. You've got the beach boy. Everyone looks tan next to me. You've got the kids. You got. <laughs> You've got the beach boy. You got the beach boy glow on. My hands were more tanned than my arms because of the wetsuit. It was a full. full right. Anyway, so I was surfing five days straight, and on my last, yeah, on my last day, I was a beginner, complete beginner. But on my last day, I was fucking doing okay. I was catching a couple of green waves, and one of the surf guides gave me a tip, and it was about keeping your body, uh, keeping your center of gravity low. Should should have been obvious, right? But I was a complete noob, so he was like. You're standing very stiff-legged up there, so bring your legs in a little closer and drop your hips, and you'll find you'll have that little bit of maneuverability, and you can kind of go along the wave instead of following the, you know, straight towards the shore. And I was like, cool. So I gave it a go, and I got it straight away. And I was like, I am a surf god! So I got super, super um, excited. And I was like, because as soon as you get that hip drop thing, you feel like you're in a surf movie. Or you feel like mm. you're in a music video for I don't know, like it's in, you're like, oh yeah. Point break. Point break. I was fucking what's his name? Magic. Patrick Swayze. I was Patrick Swayze up there. Uh, anyway, so so I got super excited and I wanted to do it again and again and again. So I was battling against the break to get out there, catch another wave. Foo, did it again. Boom. Battling against the break, get out there, caught another wave. Boom. And next thing my arms were fucked. And I couldn't, I'd lost all my energy, but I was still battling to get out there. I want to do it again. I feel so cool. I have to do it again. Third or fourth time I went out there, I'd lost all the power in my arms. I couldn't pop up properly. And I was nose diving and nose diving. And nose, I was getting wiped out again and again and again until I lost motivation and I had to go and sit on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> too, much, too much a good thing, man. That's too that's eager. Hey, 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 bro, I've got, I've got one. I can one up you on that one. Go on. So, I, 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 like, I'm not a surfer, but, you know, Polynesian people are big on surfing. Bro, 
Malibu, you know Malibu surfboard, right? Those big, big long boards? Yeah. yeah. You haven't had this experience, I guarantee. I I sink. I had a go at um, surfboards. <laughs> and just by sitting in it, I sink it. Oh I God. sink it. Like, I'm, everyone else is trying to, I mean, I'm being literal. Like, yeah. <laughs> I had to go and sit on the beach and whatever, because every time I stood up, I would sink the board to the sand. <laughs> <laughs> Loser. So, just no. slowly, like respect, <laughs> Titanic music comes on. It was like, I was like, like the end of the Terminator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like. Oh, too many, too many visual jokes for the audio listeners there. Yes, Welcome. yes. <laughs> oh, they were gold. We're giving you comedy gold here, guys. <laughs> Go on then, Russ's turn. Oh, so I, I was teaching the, the one outdoor class I still have just now. Uh, the one place that has opened back up is in Irish Town. I hate teaching out in Irish Town because it's a, it's a rough area. Uh, the kids always get harassed by pit bulls and, and all these fucking monsters and the people as well and stuff shout out it's, to all our Irish town listeners <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh, so Irish so there's a place called Irish town yeah, 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 Not, yeah. I, I was talking I thought you were talking I was going I was going oh aren't you in Ireland I was going yeah 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 sorry sorry um uh, and it, it was like 23 degrees or something and the kids couldn't take it. We trained for about half an hour and they were like, it's too warm, we need to go in the shade. So I was like, okay, there's trees over there, let's go to the shade. And as soon as we got to the shade and we started doing Keon, I was like, hey, one of the kids was about to step forward. I was like, don't move, don't move, don't move. Bang, right into a big piece of dog shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, guys, everyone watch the dog shit. And one of the kids ran across like, where, where's dog shit? And I like, ran straight uh-huh. into it. I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, so the two kids with dog shit in their shoes. And one of them, I was like, shit in your shoes. And one of them, one of them does the normal thing. Try and do this with like, like picks up their foot like this. <laughs> but the other, and like to look at it and, and then wipe it off. The other, one of the other kids <laughs> fucking picks up their foot like this. <laughs> And yeah. is now covered in dog shit. Like, <laughs> I don't have fucking wipes. This kid's got shit there. Like, I'm like, and, then, and the smell, like, like it doesn't yeah, smell bad until yeah. you break it up, and yeah, then it's like, the smell yeah, comes out. Yeah, yeah. So they run over towards me, like, and I'm like, <laughs> fucking running away from them, like, oh, I just see the fucking. Kicking the way like fucking. I was like, don't move, stay down. They're like, look at my. There's peanuts. There's peanuts in it. There's peanuts in it. And I had to run run around to every, like, because it's a massive park. Hmm. And there's like parents and stuff scattered about. So I'm like sprinting the length of a rugby pitch to each parent, like, to have tissues of baby wipes. Run, run, run. (laughs) Do you have tissues of baby wipes? No, (laughs) fucking. <laughs> man, it's my fault for not checking before we start. No, because before we start class, I always check like it's a dog shit anywhere. No, yeah. it's fine because we were moaning. I was like, right under the shade and let's keep going. And, and I didn't check. Oh. Yeah, man, it was a bit of a dog shit, <laughs> a bit of a shitty situation. You might. Think. So, so yeah. Oh man. Oh. That's oh. It. <laughs> Bro, you know, of all the things that can happen in a, in a karate class. You know, we we underestimate the power of a piece of dog shit. You know, how yeah. can just, you know, <laughs> it's awesome. 
just uh, respect, man. Respect. Just, just my, my weight's falling on the ground. My weight's falling on the ground. Pale in comparison. Even you know, and and as as this rule, I, I gotta say, man, you gotta you, you have to have won that competition. You have to you have to have won the dog shit story of the week. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dog shit. <laughs> 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 I'm I, I, I'm not angry. I'm just impressed. <laughs> <laughs> They have a feel. They have a, they have a tough goal. No. Class was over no. after that. That was that. I couldn't get them back. That was that. I was just like, no. No way you can go from there. No, no. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I tell you what, hey, thank you for having me on the podcast, guys. For some reason, I've got, I need to go and, I need to go and listen to some Led, Led Zeppelin right now and a little yeah, bit of Gary Moore this morning. That's it. Man, Dwari, you're one of the, the funniest people we've had on here. We're going to do it again, man, yeah? For sure. Oh, hey, look, I'm going to get you guys on, and, and we'd love to have you down in New Zealand. Um, you guys are always welcome. And you've got a place to stay, a place to train, um, and someone to carry your bags. And go, and, and go, I know these guys. I know them. I know them. We hang. We hang. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but no, seriously, guys, keep up. Please. Keep up. Keep up. Keep up the great work with the with the podcast and your training because it's really inspirational. Um, I find it really inspirational. Not a lot of people do. Um, you guys have got a great voice. You've got a you're putting great stuff out there, and it's um it's getting my ass up in the morning out there and training. And and thanks so much. And looking forward to you guys coming down and 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 uh, I can drive you. I can be the sober driver. That's it. yeah. That, that's the key thing. <laughs> got a way home. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> No so, worries. Thanks so much, guys. It's been a pleasure, so man. Much. Thank you. Thank you so, so much, bro. Thank you, brothers. Chaka, bra. Chaka. You can also do this. Man, yeah. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, guys. Yeah. Bye, brother. Peace, 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 peace. 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 Peace